Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know a new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Seating Podcast. And last night, January 8th, I'm recording this on Sunday, January 9th, we had Anaheim 1, and I could not have been more excited to be there. You know, I get a little jaded sometimes, I think late in seasons, and I think that's normal. You go to all these races that I've been going my entire life, and they start to wear on you, the travel, uh, just nonstop in and out of airports and hotels and rental cars and on and on and on. And anybody who's traveled can understand that if you do that for months and months on end without a break, you start to get a little bit worn out, right? The, the weekends run together. The races start to become a little bit less fun. Well, I can, for one, tell you that was not the case this past weekend. I, I think that everybody that was there was excited to be there. You know, the racers, they're nervous and they have their own, their own world that they're in. But as far as industry, fans, uh, Anybody that was there to not participate had a great time. There was just a, an electric atmosphere that I've always associated with Anaheim 1. And it was back. It, it really was back. And that was really cool to see. Full stadium, people everywhere. The pits were full. Activation going off. You know, riders all in all their brand new colors and liveries and all that stuff. It was just awesome. Uh, and what we will talk about that, of course, in this podcast. But I do want to thank the sponsors, Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Fast Foundry, Pro Glow Wash, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them, and uh, we'll talk about them a little bit later. But as for the racing itself, you know, I always go to into a one with more questions than answers, and we do a ton of these preview shows and prediction podcasts, and we really try to break down what we think we're going to see. But in the end, we're guessing, right? We're, we're trying to piece together data points and try to let them paint a picture of what's going to happen. But there are no guarantees. We, we certainly can't know what's going to happen. We just try to make the best guesstimates possible. And, and a lot of times we're right because we've been watching the sport our entire lives, you know, some of us, and we get to go to all these races and we talk to people behind the scenes and we get to see people riding in the offseason, and you talk to their technicians. So you do have real-time info about who's looking good and who's not, but then you can have things that throw a wrench into everything, right? Because to a man, everybody going into this series thought that it was going to be the Jet Lawrence, Christian Craig, and Colt Nichols show. Well, guess what? Jet Lawrence break or cracks ribs last week. He's out. Then... Three laps into the first heat race of the year, Colt Nichols, I think he broke both arms. I don't have confirmation of that, but I was told he broke both arms 
and he's out for however knows, you know, whoever knows how long now. So everything that we thought we knew going into the series and we, you know, would have bet a lot of money that these things were going to happen, we'd have been dead wrong, right? And the whole series has been turned upside down one round in. So I think that's what's part of makes A1 so special is you have all of these preconceived notions and then you just realize how silly you were to think that you knew what was going to happen. We did get the Christian Craig part right. I will say that because he was fantastic. And I don't know how it would have been if you had had Colton Nichols, well, first having a good day because he didn't look good all day. And then on top of that, have him healthy in the main event. And then if you have Jet Lawrence out there, I don't know what that would have looked like either. But the field that Christian Craig was up against last night, he is the class of that field. He is the best rider in that class. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to win the title, right? He can get hurt. He can uh, have some sort of mental block where he doesn't ride to his potential. He could get bad starts. He could have his bike break. He could crash in practice just like he did the Salt Lake City finale last year. Anything is possible when you talk about what can happen to these guys. But I think if you're asking me who the best rider in that class is, unequivocally, I will say it's Christian Craig. So to me, this is Christian Craig's series to lose. Doesn't mean he can't lose it. Doesn't mean he won't lose it. And if you're a fan of Hunter Lawrence, if you're a fan of Joe Shimoda or whoever, that's fine. I'm just telling you who the best rider is. There have been series after series in history where the best rider didn't win the championship. That's happened a ton of times. Uh, But I think in this case, if Christian Craig doesn't lose it, he's going to be your champion. I will say that there were a few guys that impressed me that I didn't expect. Uh, Seth Hamaker was better than I thought he would be. I kind of expected him to be five, six, seven, decent, not, you know, outstanding. But I thought he was outstanding. I thought he rode really, really well. I thought he was aggressive. I thought he showed perseverance dealing with Vince Freezy, who we'll get to. And I thought he was just strong all day. He didn't look, you know, the moment didn't look too big for him throughout the entire day and night. He, he was able to fight off Hunter Lawrence at the end of the race. Um, so, yeah, very impressive day, and, and he should be commended for the effort that, uh, that he put in. Nice job by Seth Hamaker, because really, all you can do is take advantage of the opportunities that come to you, right? You can't dictate if Jet Lawrence is going to back out. You can't dictate if Colt Nichols is going to get hurt. You can't control any of that. You just race who lines up against you, and you do the best you can. And I thought he did a great job of taking advantage of that opportunity. Hunter Lawrence, I mentioned briefly, really strong comeback for him. He was kind of all over the place all day and night. A couple crashes, bad start, hit the gate. Like It wasn't a clean day or a clean night at all for Hunter Lawrence. And I think we're going to see more of that. I just think volatility is kind of in his DNA. He just doesn't have many series where he just lines up, executes, and off we go. You know, he's had the shoulder injuries over the seasons. He's had lots of crashes. He's had races he didn't qualify. I just think that's who he is as a rider. I do think he is better than he's been. And I think if you look at who is in this class, he has an opportunity to get a lot of podiums and a lot of top five finishes and even a win or two. But I still think you're going to see some volatility there because I think you're going to get a few crashes in there as well. And in this, this class with very few races, you can't have crashes in main events. It will bite you and it will cost you any chance at the championship. Vince Freezy, I mean, 
is Vince Freezy being Vince Freezy, right? Uh, we, we were so used to watching him in the 450 class. Uh, a lot of times it's not at the very front, so all eyeballs aren't, aren't on him. But this is who he is, right? He rides aggressively with others. He gets really good starts. He takes no prisoners. He makes very questionable decisions. And he has always done that. Now, that doesn't mean he's not a great rider. That doesn't mean he's not riding really well. And it doesn't mean he didn't do a great job getting fifth place. But if you watched him in the heat race, you, you see some of the moves he makes and, you know, getting aggressive at times when you don't really need to. Um, you know, defenders of him would just say he's fighting for position, which is fine. Listen, I've been racing. I raced the guy for several years on my own and I hated every second of it because I don't like the way he races. And I've gotten to watch it for another 10 years. I've watched the same dynamic. uh, And I watch him really closely because I had to deal with him on the racetrack myself. This is nothing new. And it's not going to change. It's never going to change. And I think if he's in position to get top fives, get podiums, or, you know, has a chance at a win, I think it's only going to get, he's only going to get more aggressive. So say what you want. I've said plenty. And I will continue to be critical if I see things I don't like. Uh, but I will also be fair and say he's riding really well and he's one of the best starters I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, so take from that what you will. I don't want to make this show about Vince Freezy, but there's going to be a lot of entertainment from him to come because he's going to get the whole shot nearly every damn time. If he's not, he'll be top three, top five and make things interesting either way. So just be prepared for fireworks from Vince Freezy. Joe Shimoda, Way too many mistakes. You know, a lot of people had him circled as a title contender in this series, especially as we lost Jet Lawrence, and then even more so as we lost Colton Nichols in the heat race. But if he can't do anything to reduce the, you know, dozen or so mistakes he made at Anaheim 1, he's not even going to be able to see the front of the pack, uh, and a championship won't even be, you know, in consideration. So he's got some work to do. Um, He was going fast. It wasn't a, a fact of him going slow, but... You've got to you've got to put in consistent laps, and it's got to be the entire thing, right? It's got to be good qualifying time, good heat race gate pick, good start, good heat race finish, good start in the main event, solid laps, good main event finish. Like it's just a snowball effect that you need to be working on all day long, all day long, and then that translates into a good result. And no sudden movements, no crashes, nothing that derails that really smooth path. And it was anything but that for Joe Shimoda. You could really say the same thing for Michael Moseman as well. Uh, super fast. I think he was maybe the fastest qualifier a couple times. I don't remember what the overall times were, but he was right in there. Looked great. You would have him circled as one of your podium guys just based on speed and experience, but nope. First turn melee, you know, I think he may have hit the gate too. Like it's just chaos, right? And you can't have that when you have guys that are polished like Christian Craig was last night you can't give them any quarter you can't give them any slack because you will look up and be half a lap down on the second lap and that's exactly what happened last night so those guys are are prepared they looked great but they just didn't execute right they didn't put every single piece of the puzzle together so they get another chance next week right it's one night one race show up at Oakland next week get it together and execute the game plan. They know how to do it. You just have to do it. You know, when it counts, you know, when they hand out the points, that's the only time it counts. You know, you can do it a hundred times at the practice track in the off season, but it doesn't, that doesn't matter. If you can't quiet all the noise, 
forget all that, you know, the hype of a one and execute on race day, then all of it's for naught. So let's, let's watch for that. Now, as for the 450 class, you guys know, longtime listeners of this podcast know that I do my power rankings and nobody freak out. These are just my opinion of where people stack up in the sport right now. And I factor in a few things. I factor a cumulative effect, right? I'll weigh a little bit of last season, right? I'll, I'll weigh Dylan Ferranis's incredible motocross season, but I'll also weigh the fact that he was all over the place in Supercross, crashing, bad starts, DNFs. I mean, he was just no consistency whatsoever in Supercross last year. And then he had this amazing motocross season. So I factor both of those in. I also factor in Cooper Webb's championship. You know, I factor in Eli Tomac being so-so last year at times, decent in Supercross, right? Uh, third in the series, motocross, so-so, fast at times, not fast at others. Like, you don't you're really know what you were going to get. And then I'll fact, I also factor in recency as well. Like, the, the last race weighs really heavily on this too because it just happened the night before. So I really try to take a broad stroke with these power rankings and not be victim of the moment too much, but you have to factor that in, right? It, it's, you're only as good as your last race, so they say, but I don't want it to be that. I want it to be a little bit bigger of a picture than that. So without further ado, number 10 is the aforementioned Dylan Ferrandis. And he didn't have a good night last night. His results weren't in the top 10. I think he got 14th or something like that. But if you look at his speed throughout the day and night, he was fast. He was riding really well. And then you factor in his motocross season. So he was at the top of the, the rankings last year. I could not have him in the top 10 because it wasn't like he didn't qualify for the main event or something, right? He got 14th. His finish sucked because he couldn't stay out of trouble. But the speed was there. I saw plenty of potential from Dylan Ferrandez. And we'll see if he has another horrible night in Oakland and doesn't get in the top 10, I will immediately boot him, right? I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, but this volatility in his results in Supercross is not new. This is exactly what we dealt with last year. So he's going to have to get rid of that. If he wants any chance of this title at all, at all, he needs a bounce back ride at Oakland because you can't start racking up 14ths and think you're going to have a chance because Roxon and Webb and those guys will be 35 points ahead of you before we even get out of January. And you'll be like, you won't even know what happened. It'll, you'll be a race down by round three. Like that's really easy to happen when you don't, you know, when, when you have guys at the front that are as good and as consistent, consistent as those guys are. Pardon my voice. I'm, I'm getting over a, a cold right now. So I apologize for my congestion as well. Number nine, Adam Cincerillo. And some of you are going to wonder what the hell he didn't even get top 10, blah, blah, blah. I get it. But He's coming off of a grade three AC separation in his shoulder. He didn't even know if he was going to race a week ago. He ran third for damn near half the race. And I think he's easily a top 10 guy in this class. So you start, you know, factoring all those things in. And I think he belongs to be in here. And also he got 11th in the race. It wasn't that bad. 11th is not when you, when you consider that he didn't even know if he was going to be able to race. You watch his first two practice or his first practice and he crashes twice horrifically because his, his shoulder is too weak. And you're like, man, I don't even think he should race. That, that was my first thought. That was my initial thought when I saw him crashing 
because the one one was big. It was a big crash. I'm like, he, he needs to back out of this thing because he's going to hurt himself. He can't hold on. His shoulder's not strong enough. Well, he was able to overcome it and get some points. And that was when the main event started, he got a good start. And I'm like, okay, just put in laps and whatever comes, comes, get some points. And I think he was able to do that. You could see he couldn't fight those guys. He was kind of getting out of the way. And an 11th is all that there was. So I give him a lot of credit for fighting through it. I know it had to be frustrating. I know it had to be emotionally exhausting to deal with that because he probably had to be so pissed off that guys are just passing him and bumping him out of the way. Like, that's not fun. I've been there. It's not, not a good time when you know you can go much, much faster than this, but your body won't allow you to. So I have him at nine because I think that he's going to get much better really quickly. And you're going to see him, if he starts third like he was on Saturday night, I think he stays there within a week or two. Maybe not at Oakland, but we come back San Diego, A2. I think you'll see him be able to stay there. That's how quickly that shoulder will bounce back. Number eight, I have Jason Anderson. And what could have been for Anderson, right? He was really fast all day. He was moving into a fight for the podium with Justin Barsha and he got taken out. And the only thing I'll say there is don't poke the Barsha bear. What are you doing? You can't, I mean, I guess you can, but it's really inadvisable to get into a physical altercation on the track with Justin Barsha. That's what he does. That's who he is. He's the best that maybe this sport's ever seen at riding aggressively. You are entering a world of pain when you start making contact with Barsha because he doesn't even need an invitation. He'll do it anyway, but if you instigate it, you can guarantee it. You can sign it in blood that he's going to hit you. Now, whether you crash or not is just the luck of the draw. Jason Anderson certainly did, but Barsha's going to come back, especially you're battling for a podium spot. You go in and you make contact with Barsha. You don't think he's coming back at you. You're not paying attention. Now, Anderson probably doesn't care. I commend him for his attitude because he even tweeted like, hey, no love loss, right? And he teased him about buying some sweatshirts with the bonus money or whatever. That's cool. Like, I really think that's taking the high road for Anderson. But I think if you're going to start something, you better be willing to take it too. So I think Anderson understands that. My only qualm with it is that I think it's a bad idea. The goal is to get a result. The goal is to stay out of trouble Stay out of an incident with a guy like Justin Barsha so you can be the one that's up on that podium getting the bonus money. He had the speed edge over Barsha. He didn't have to instigate contact. He could have just passed him clean, make sure you keep it clean. And then if Barsha wants to do his thing, then you, that, that happens. But by you going in, getting aggressive first, you are guaranteeing repercussion and some sort of uh, reciprocation right? You're, you're asking for it. And I just always think that's a horrible idea when you have somebody as good at it as Justin Barsha. And the same thing would be said for a guy like Vince Freezy. You know what they do. You know who they are. Don't start it with them, right? If they started with you, so be it. But don't start it with them because they're probably better at it than you are. And you're just asking for trouble. You're in a great position to succeed. Just stay out of trouble. And I'm kind of on a rant, but it, I was just shaking my head when I saw Anderson go down because he asked for it. You're asking for trouble when you poke the Barsha bear. Uh, Mookie, I have it seven and it was kind of a woulda, coulda, shoulda night for Mookie. You know, he got cleaned out by Marvin. 
and they got into it big time. I saw a video that our, our fly racing uh, social media team has. Uh, Andrew Jerome, our, our videographer, has a great video of those two going at it after the race. Not fighting, but arguing. And I saw the video of the takeout. You know, Marvin went in there super aggressive. Mookie also committed. So I think there's blame on both sides. You could certainly be mad at – I would be mad at Marvin if I was Mookie, of course. Uh, but I also think it kind of caught Mookie off guard, which is on Mookie a little bit as well. But I think Mookie is going to have really good nights moving forward. He looked great on the motorcycle. I mean, all of the questions that we had were like, is he going to be leaner? Is he going to take the next step? Is he going to have that flash of speed? All those were a resounding yes. So crashes, drama, whatever. He still gets out of there with a seventh. Good night for, for Mookie. I'm, I'm happy with everything I saw there. And I think he has a lot of upside from here. So good night for Mookie. Oakland has traditionally been a good race for him. It was always a good race for his brother as well. So let's see if they can come out swinging next weekend at Mookie. Or I'm sorry, at Oakland. Marvin I have just ahead of him. And Marvin got fourth in the race. But I think he deserves to be sixth on this list. And I'll tell you why. Because he, he kind of was chaos defined throughout the day and night. He didn't look good in the whoops at all. I mean, horrific, to be honest. You watch his heat race. He crashes. Then he gets up and he, he barely gets in. I mean, he wasn't better than the guys like Clayson and A-Ray and those guys in the whoops. They were better than him in the whoops. And it's only because he has such elite level corner speed and some of these things that he was able to get in out of the heat race. But I think he was fortunate to get fourth. You know, if Mookie doesn't crash, if he doesn't take Mookie out, if Anderson doesn't get taken out, a few of those things don't go his way. It's certainly not a fourth. Um, he did get it. He got Sexton on the last lap. He, you know, he would tell me like, I earned it. I crashed and still got it. Blah, blah. That's, that's all fine. Great. Good for you. But I think it was more of him making lemonade out of lemons. Like, I don't think his day was, was fantastic. I didn't really like how he looked, to be honest. I thought the bike would help him in the whoops, like really kind of help him take the next step in the whoops. And I didn't see that at all. Um, I saw the same old Marvin in the whoops. The, the, the front runners, the, especially Roxon. I mean, good Lord, Roxon, and we'll get there. Those guys are on a completely different level in the whoops than, Mookie, than Marvin. Mookie too, right? They're just light years ahead of Marvin. And um, yeah, I, Marvin has his own skill set too. Don't get me wrong. But I just didn't like some of the things I saw from, from Marvin's riding. Uh, kind of an all-day thing for him too. Uh, qualified okay. Crashes in the heat, bad gate pick, bad start, takes Mookie out, takes Clayson out. It's taking people out everywhere. Uh, it was just a kind of a chaotic day for Marvin. Uh, Sexton at five. Man, uh, this was a, a teachable moment for, uh, for Sexton. Um, I'm watching him in the main event, and you see him stalking Roxon. And me, you know, I've been retired now for a decade, which is insane for one. I've been watching this a long time and I've been fortunate to be around guys like Chad Reed and Tim Ferry and even Ricky Carmichael at times and Sebastian Tortelli. And I've seen it. I, I know what championship sentiment looks like and patience and maturity and the riding and the racing and the, the mental approach. I've seen it. I've been around it. I've heard them talk through things and, and I've watched race tape with them and had them break it down so I know what it looks like. And Sexton is so damn impatient 
he's got to just calm down. And, and it's just youth. It, it's nothing else than being, being too young yet. But that was a huge, hugely wasted opportunity. I was mouthing it to myself going, relax, dude. Be patient. Wait for it. Just go with Kenny. You know who you're racing. And that's what I was t- – man, I wish I had a radio. I, I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter if, if Kenny wins or Sexton wins or whatever. But if I had a radio into Sexton's helmet, I would have just been telling him, just sit there. Just sit on his wheel. Keep the pressure up. You don't have to push the pace. Just ride behind him. Make, you don't even have to make him nervous. Just let him know you're there. And you know what you're dealing with with Kenny. He has a difficult time at the end of races, right? Kenny is a sprinter. He is one of the best riders on the opening laps of any rider in history, bar none. So if you can go with him in the first few laps, your odds of getting him late in the race go up exponentially. That is a historical fact when dealing with Ken Roxon. He's He is a fast twitch, world-class sprint-level rider. Now, he's in shape. I'm not saying he's going to fall apart. I'm just saying if you can go with him in those moments at the beginning, you're going to have a great opportunity later because he can't typically sustain that razor's edge of performance at the end. And that's where I would want to be in Sexton's ear going, dude, just chill. Just go with him. You're, you've got everything perfect. You've got it all right in front of you. You don't have to do anything out of line here. Just hit your marks, do the jumps, and stay on Roxon's rear wheel. And good things will happen to you. What does he do? Tries to get in there, get aggressive, push the pace. He wants to make a pass. The hype of A1, I've got to get around my teammate. I've got to get around Roxon. I want to get to the front. I want to get the win. And he ends up on the ground a couple times. Um, and to me, my analysis of it is that is youth. That is youthful exuberance and impatience personified. And uh, like again, I have no dog in the fight. I don't care. But it was, it was frustrating to watch because my 10-year-old from removed racing self could see it coming from a mile away that he just needed to calm down a little bit. And I think he will get there. Um, but man, you just, you can see it unraveling right in front of you. Eli Tomac four. And you could, you could ask like, how the hell do you have him at four? Okay. Okay. Calm down. This is where the bigger picture stuff comes in with Eli Tomac. He's never been good in January, right? That was not good at all for Anaheim one. I fully understand it, but in the realm of January, it's kind of what he's been in January. Bad, decent, good results, somewhat, somewhat bad results. Like he's been all over the map, but it's never been like Eli Tomac comes out swinging at A1 and everybody's in deep trouble. That's just never really been him. He's never really done that. So for him to do that again in 2022 shouldn't be a shock. Now he needs to do better than that. He can't have, you can't fall off the back that much, but it didn't come as a shock to me because that's what I'm used to seeing. That's the Eli Tomek I've watched for, you know, seven years in this class or whatever. So we'll see, right? I'm, I'm just trying to keep a level, cool head when it comes to Eli Tomek because I've seen this story before. We all know that he's going to catch fire at some point in the series and he'll be Eli Tomek again. So I have him at four, more of a big picture. He's still Eli Tomek type situation. Justin Barsha have it three. He deserves it, man. He got third. He deserves to be number three on the list. Uh, he, he rode great all day, all night. He looked fast. He looked aggressive. 
Um, you know, he knocked Jason Anderson down, but again, Anderson started it. So I'm not going to blame Barsha for being Barsha. I don't like it. I hate riding like that, but you know what you're getting. That's who Barsha's always been. He's never been anybody but that. So know what you're dealing with and act accordingly. But I, th- I did think Barsha looked really, really good. Um, you know, more drama. He's always up in the drama, arguing with people, fighting with people, running into people, but that's kind of been his existence. So good job from him. He came in prepared. He looked ready from the get-go, from the first lap of practice. He looked fast. So uh, yeah, really impressed with Barsha yet again. Number two, Cooper Webb. And this is what I expected to see. Calm, methodical, avoided trouble. People tried to get aggressive with him. He stayed out of the way, didn't pick fights with people, didn't go in and make contact with people. He did get, you know, there was some aggressive passing around him, but he didn't, he didn't end up on the ground. He didn't take it too far. You could just see his thought process, big picture, get a good result. I think that was his best A1 ever, right? And if I'm everybody else, I'm like, oh God. Because if he's that good at A1, when he's historically been really bad early this early in the season, that is a really dangerous situation for everybody. Even Ken Roxon, who was the only rider left, so you know he's going to be number one. I would be concerned knowing that Webb was already in second place at the first round. That's me personally. And Kenny could be like, dude, I didn't even see him. Why would, why would I be worried about Webb? Because you know better. You know it's Cooper Webb, and you know how this goes, and you know how good Cooper Webb's going to be all the way through the series. So everything I wanted to see from Webb, I got. He wasn't good in practice. I was a little worried about that. But again, that's what we're used to. He's never good in practice, right? I mean, within reason. He's, I think he wants to be. I think he tried really hard to be. I think he worked on a lot of weaknesses in the offseason to try to fix that. It's just not his game. He's not a one-lap wonder. It just doesn't come that easily for him. But give him 21 minutes, and you see what he does to everybody. He wears you down. He's just like Iceman. Have you ever seen Top Gun? Just like Iceman. Wears you down, gets you bored. Next thing you know, you do something stupid, and he's got you. That is Cooper Webb. In a nutshell, that is Cooper Webb every single race. You don't really pay attention. You're worried about all the flash of Mookie and Barsha and all these things, Anderson, everybody knocking each other down. And then you look up, and when, when the hell... Did Cooper Webb get on the podium? That's exactly what he does to people. So, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to his camp. That's, what he, that's who he is, Iceman. That's what he does. It's exactly what his, his you know, strategy is. It's so damn methodical. Number one, Ken Roxon. And as much credit as I just gave Cooper Webb, don't let it sound like I'm taking away from Roxon because that was downright awesome. I mean, he was really... I don't want to say unchallenged because Sexton was challenging him, but you look at his heat race, you look at the main event, he was never passed, he led every lap. I don't even think he was behind through a corner throughout the entire night. And if you're going to draw up an A1, that's how you draw it up. And the last time I saw that kind of race from him would have been his first season on RCH Suzuki where he just went out and ran away from everybody. He just dominated on the Suzuki and it was kind of the same race, right? Unchallenged, nobody was near him. Once Sexton did his deal, like, I mean, he was, I don't know, 10 seconds ahead of the web drama back there. Like, not even drama, but that, that battle and further back, which they were all battling. They were going at it back there. But 
it was just how you'd want it, right? You, you fight off a challenger, whoever that may be. You let them wear themselves out or do something dumb, which Chase Sexton did. And then you have it your way and you get to cruise home to the finish. That's, a, that's everything you would want. And I thought it was interesting if you listen to any of the interviews from Roxon, anything he's talked about, he downplayed his chances. He said he's been sick. He said he has had health issues, really quiet offseason, didn't feel that great. And then here we are. He comes out and just smokes everybody. So I don't know if that's intentional because he kind of did the same thing last summer before the motocross season. So I don't know, right? I don't want to call him a liar. I don't know if it's strategic or if he thrives off of feeling like there's no pressure. I don't know. It's one of the two. It's either he's taking the pressure off himself by kind of downplaying his chances or he's trying to throw everybody off the scent and, and not think he is a contender and then he just goes out and waxes everybody. It's one of those two though, but kudos to him. Excellent job. Great race. I mean, he's probably the most marketable rider in the sport. Jet Lawrence is coming for that title, but it's still Kenny right now. Great win. Great job. Congratulations to Team Honda. My buddy Lars Lindstrom is the team manager over there. They get their first win together in Supercross. That, that was awesome. Could not be more excited for those guys. Uh, and speaking of that, speaking of the first of 22, I do want to thank all the sponsors again. Pirelli Tires, Plum Creek Funding, Guts Racing, Works Connection, use that promo code JT21. We probably need to update that. Pro Glow, use the promo code MOTO15. And we, I, I do want to launch something too. We're going to do a Pro Glow question of the week, and we will give a prize out once a week. So send your questions in uh, to my email, to social media, Twitter, however you want to get them to me, do it. Uh, and we will give away a prize each week from Pro Glow for the Pro Glow question of the week. I want to thank Grandstone Boots. Fly Racing and everybody who's ever been a part of this, you know, budgets change for 22 and I, I, you know, things change, but I want to thank everybody who's ever been a part of this. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned Fast Foundry, but Rob and the team over there want to thank them as well. The last thing I want to mention for the podcast is the honorable mentions, because I think guys get upset if they're not in this and they maybe could be. The other two guys I had were AP, Aaron Plessinger and Joey Sabachi. AP had a horrible day. No other way to put it. Horrible, horrible day. Big crash in the whoops. Looked terrible on the bike. Um, so for him to salvage a finish, I thought he did okay, right? It wasn't what he wanted. I'm, I'm sure the result wasn't what he wanted at all. But I think to get out of there and to be able to start over next week in Oakland, it's okay, right? He got away from the crash healthy. And he can just hit the reset button and forget that ever happened. And he's not down a ton of points, which is, uh, which is really important. The other guy, Joey Savacci, Joey got an eighth, which I think will fly under the radar because there was so much other, you know, other material and all these other headlines and storylines to talk about. But Joey rode well. He looked aggressive all day. A1's a pressure cooker, and it's difficult to feel comfortable on the bike. And, you know, they switched engine builders and there was a lot of change on that team this offseason. So I think for Joey to come in at the first race and get eighth was a really strong statement. And good for him. He wears fly racing in full disclosure. So I was happy to see it. Um, but I think he deserves an honorable mention for getting an eighth place in, at A1. It's a really tough race and you're up against all these factory teams. And uh, he pulled it off. So, so nice ride for Joey Savacci. So that's it for this week. Get those questions in for, uh, for the 
Pro Glow Question of the Week, we will be giving away prizes. I need to check in with Pirelli and see if they're up for giving some tires away. We'll definitely be giving away a Formula helmet. I'll give away a few sets of gear this season, and I really want to try to give more prizes out to you guys. I appreciate the patience and everyone listening. Um, you know, I, it, it really helps customer engagement with the sponsors to get prizes out to you, try some new things. And of course, with my position at Fly Racing, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that. So let's do that. Let's get questions in and I'll just pick some at random, right? If I have a, a catalog of questions to pull from, I'll just, maybe I'll be just be feeling generous that day and, uh, and send somebody a set of gear right then. So thank you to everybody from listening. I'm, I'm thrilled to be in year three of this podcast. Um, it's, it's, Honestly, it's an honor uh, to even be able to do this, that people even care enough to listen. Um, I'm also doing uh, some VIP stuff throughout Supercross. If you want to reach out, spend the day with me, um, you can DM or email me about that. Uh, I had some guys this weekend, had a great time with them. It's a little challenging with COVID, but uh, we still have a great time and, and get some great access there. Um, also, I uh, wanted to mention my Patreon podcast is every Saturday morning of each race event. It does cost a couple bucks a month. It's not expensive, um, but it's a way to support the podcast and uh, also gets last minute information. I really try to make it about what's going on at the race, the weather, the fantasy advice, last minute rumors, things are going on. Uh, if guys, you know, what if guys are sick? What, it, you know, all those last minute updates, it's a great avenue for that. And uh, just some more insider access. So you can check that out at patreon.com slash industry seating, or just email me if you want a link to it or whatever. I'll be happy to help out there too. So thank you for supporting me. Thank you for supporting all the sponsors of the podcast. Um, I, I really owe them a lot, right? They make this podcast possible. And uh, yeah, we'll be back uh, next week for another episode. See you guys.